This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. I am freezing. I just can't get warm. What can I say? I've been cold since... Uh, Let me see. I wrote it down here. We had our first snowfall on November 4th. And it was cold that day. And really, to be quite honest with you, I really don't think I've been warm since. We are approaching the end of April, the beginning of May. And (laughs) now it might be because I'm deep in the basement layer. And, you know, traditionally it's cold in basements for those of you who are listening, who are from an area that actually has basements. But it's just one of those days. And here's the rub, though. The rub is that it's absolutely beautiful today. I mean, you could get a telescope and try to look for a cloud. And a cloud does not exist in this azure blue sky today. But it just feels like there's just a chill. And maybe that chill has absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19. But there is a chill across the land, at least the frozen tundra land of northeast Ohio, the land of Cleve. And um, that's just the way it feels. But that's okay. We'll, We'll get through it. Like, we'll get through the virus. We'll get through this. I hope that you are safe and healthy wherever you're downloading or streaming or listening to this podcast amongst the thousands and thousands of podcasts that you have to choose from. In fact, I receive a podcast e-newsletter sometimes every day, but generally every other day. And I'm told by the author of this particular e-newsletter that the number of podcasts now available surpass 1 million in number. So there you go. So one thing you can't say is there aren't enough podcasts to listen to, because that, that would not be true. I'm wondering, today, amidst the COVID-19 virus and the economic hardship that a lot of us are experiencing, and the sense of separation, amongst all of those things that we're currently experiencing in the now, I wonder... If regret can cause us to be grateful. And regret is one of those phenomenon that I feel like I've been grappling with for quite some time. And it is a bit of an irony, actually, because... I have been one of those people who pretty much knew early on what he wanted to do with his life. I think I mentioned in other podcast episodes that Donna, my wife, and our family, and various members of family from time to time, uh, have been traveling to West Virginia, and we've been doing that for... um, a number of years, but we've been doing it with much more frequency. 
And some of those trips, because of their frequency, have been due to funerals, to be quite honest. But a lot of times they haven't. And I recall one conversation deep into the night when we were going around the room talking about what we wanted to do with our lives. And I said that um, I've been one of those lucky people. I have a brother, we have a sibling who just has always struggled with this, just really never knew, didn't really have a clear indication, even getting a bachelor's degree, did not have a clear indication what he wanted to do with his life. And I felt always quite the opposite. I've always wanted to be in front of a microphone. And aside from my three-year journey at the Roman Catholic Seminary, it's all I've ever wanted to do, and it's all I've ever done. Now, having that kind of certainty is not something that I'm specifically proud of or something that makes me feel haughty or that I'm just so you know, pleasantly pleased that I had the wherewithal to know what I wanted to do. It's just one of those things. My twin brother and I shared a room, and at night we would listen to the radio. And when I sensed that maybe Mark had fallen asleep, I had a smaller transistor radio. And I would turn off the other radio, and I would turn the transistor radio on. And I would put it on low so I didn't wake him up. And I would nestle it on my pillow next to my ear. I know, it sounds like... um you know, like a Hallmark movie. But I just was amazed by the fact that these voices were coming out of this radio. And not only were they giving me sports and, you know, news and weather updates, but I could spin the dial. And especially at night when these frequencies could be heard with much more clarity. And I was just amazed that I could go around the dial and find these various locales around the United States and Canada listening to these places. And I would remark to my mom in the morning, I heard Jackson, Mississippi last night. I heard Detroit, Michigan. I heard Lincoln, Nebraska last night. And I knew early on that that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't know if I had the right voice to be on the radio. I still don't. I certainly didn't sound like some of those, those delicious baritone voices that came out of that small transistor radio. Nevertheless, that's what I wanted to do. And I did it. I did it. I started off small. I plied my trade on the weekends, and I worked overnights, and I left Donna many a night at Saturday night at 10.30 so that I could ride 45 minutes away and get to my gig playing records from midnight to 6 in the morning. And I loved it. They didn't have to pay me to do it. I told a program director one time when I was looking for a part-time job, don't pay me. I don't care. I don't need the money. I needed the money, and that was dumb. And they looked at each other and said, I don't know if we've ever had anyone say that before. But that's the way I felt about it. It was, it was the greatest thing that could ever happen, that I could walk into this room and I could smell that, 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 that burning electricity 
and the heat would be coming off the control console. And as soon as I flicked that toggle switch and it killed the sound of those monitors inside that studio, that meant that that microphone in front of me, it was live, it was hot. And I got to speak into it. And not only that, I got to go to all these places. All these places that I dragged Donna around to after she spent the first part of her life being dragged all around the world by uh, a, a Navy veteran, then I had to drag her all around my radio world. And it was great. But at the time, I lived completely in the present. I had no sense of past or future. The only future I really had any concern about was would this next radio station pay me $5,000 more a year? And is that enough for me to pack up all my stuff again, put it in a rider truck, get the dog, and mosey on to the next place? But during those years, there were always jobs. There was always somebody that would listen to some tape that I sent out or might even be driving through and hear something and say, how would you like to come to Yakima, Washington? How would you like to come to Colorado Springs? How would you like to come to Sarasota, Florida? The, the, the world was wide open. All lanes were open. And I didn't make a ton of money. I didn't even think about money. I didn't think about preparing myself. I didn't think about 401ks. I didn't think about retirement. I didn't think about my wife having Alzheimer's. I didn't think about those things. All I knew is that I got to wake up in the morning, I got to drive to work, I got to either stand in front of a microphone and play air guitar to the Rolling Stones, or I got to sit in a studio in the back and create theater of the mind. And then every two weeks they gave me a paycheck. I didn't think about any of those other things. And then I got to take those experiences and I formed it into a business doing pretty much the same thing that I'd done for those radio stations the first 20 years. And I thought, well, holy crap, this is, this is even more phenomenal. Because now I do this for myself. And I wake up in the morning and there's a bunch of emails sitting there. Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? Heck yeah, man, just send the check. I had no concept of past and future. I may have had a concept of it, but I didn't recognize it. I didn't acknowledge it. But now it's all I think about. 
quite honestly, it's all I think about. I think about why didn't I stay in Washington, D.C. that second time. Or, I had it pretty made in Pittsburgh. Why didn't I just stay there? Or, why'd you leave Ohio? I mean, you could have stayed at that one gig, and it could be 20 years later and you would still be at that gig. Just like all of your siblings who are still at their jobs. I remember family members saying, Knoxville, Tennessee, why are you going there? But these were adventures. And Donna called them that. She said, we're going to go on an adventure. Don't be bummed. Don't be nervous. This is an adventure. And I had a willing participant. But now all I can think about is, why did I do those things? Why didn't I do this? And because I didn't do that, now this other thing can't happen. Or I didn't prepare very well for that. I should have done that so I can do this. It almost feels like there's an anchor around my neck. And someone has inscribed or burnt in the six letters, regret. You know, I'm not a very good Catholic. Not a very good Roman Catholic. Not a very good anything. Because I tend to dance on the periphery of just about everything. My friend David Reddy says, what's the problem with that? That way you get to enjoy everything. And then Father Kay at the Ukrainian Catholic Church says, this is a bad thing to do. You need to commit to something. If you're going to be here, you should be here, and you should get involved, and you should be a part of things here. If it's not going to be here, then it should be somewhere else. Father Hendricks in the seminary used to say, you either buy the whole package or you don't buy any of it. And I have other friends who feel the same way. And I've tried to say that to myself. But when it comes to regret, I, I'm looking for any bit of wisdom to help me propel myself past it. And all of those nice, gooey things that I felt about having the whole world highway in front of me open to go and do anything I wanted to do sometimes seems absurd and foolhardy and what in the hell was I thinking Philip Moffat, who 
runs the Spirit Rock Meditation Center, says regret makes you cling. You're a clinger. Because you're not only clinging to the past, but you're clinging to the future. And even my infantile, rudimentary appreciation of Zen Buddhism tells me that the only thing I have is the now. Like, I know that in my head. I know that to say it to somebody else. I know that when I'm trying to do Zazen and I'm trying to keep my mind focused and I'm saying to myself, and I probably shouldn't even be saying anything to myself during that time. But I'm saying to myself, just breathe in and breathe out. That's the only thing that you need to be concerned about right now because that's it. That's the whole experience. And then later I remind myself and I say, what do you know? You're a horrible Buddhist. You're a horrible Catholic, which makes you a horrible Christian. Now, you probably think that that's me being hard on myself. But I do feel those things. I'm really not a very good anything. It's really interesting, too, because when we get together for family functions, maybe it's just this prior connection that I had to the seminary. But I'm always called upon to do the prayer, and I always chuckle inwardly about that. Because if they only knew, if they only knew what I felt about things, if they listened to this podcast, they may, at a future get-together, when we're not social distancing so much, they may say, Hey, Uncle Matt, what's this crap you feel about things? What's that all about? And I'm not afraid to admit that I've been in therapy over it. I mean, over other things, but really it's that sense of regret that's really made me want to be able to speak to someone because obviously it's not something that I can solve by myself. And I remember a particularly nice and illuminating, to a certain extent, um, woman who I spoke with while living in Pittsburgh, who said to me, Do you sometimes wish that somebody would just come in and swoop in and, like, take it all away? Like, present something to you that's going to counterbalance not only just everything you felt about what you did for a living and were so satisfying doing for a living, but also counterbalance all of the gunkiness that you feel now that you have this weight of regret. And as she was talking, I was already, you know, bouncing my head up and down, saying, yes, of course, yes, yes, I want something or someone to swoop in and save it all. And, you know, really, almost the marvelous thing 
the beautiful thing about it is that nobody's going to do that. Only I can save it or make it better or make it appear to be better or make my peace with it. I know that. I know that cognitively. But it is what I secretly hope for that some situation is going to present itself to counterbalance all of this. And I know that, that that's not going to happen. So the regret lingers. So I have always made it a point to redouble my efforts when it comes to trying to counterbalance this. And believe me, if something needs to get done, I'll do it. I'll, at least I'll try to do it. I mean, unlike Marty McFly's dad, I'm not a slacker. I will take the steps necessary to try to learn something new. To try to put myself in a better position. To replace what is being lost. I'll try. I may not always be successful, but I'll try. But this constantly being weighed down by regret and the really the constant defeat does and can take its toll. I'm sure you've probably felt this way, but there is and can be a tendency to want to curl up in a fetal position. When these things begin to feel compounded, and they're exacerbated by the fact that normal job-seeking channels have been shut down, or at least a lot of them have, and that the people who were once stalwarts in my professional life, go-to people, people who could act as a sounding board, someone who could be that person who, when you said, if you know anyone, they did know someone. Maybe they even were that someone. Or those times when I didn't have to say anything because my work spoke for itself. I had a body of work. And while that body of work may not be the best, it may not be the penultimate body of work, it was still a respected body of work. And having the body of work was important to me. I mean, even as a teenager, all of the things that interested me, sports, music, Authors, all of them had a body of work. We're raised with athletes who have nothing but a body of work, and the barometer by which their performance is measured is because of that body of work. 
How many home runs did he have? What's his ERA? How many touchdowns did he throw in a season? I mean, constantly, that body of work is judged, analyzed, torn apart to try to decide, was this person the greatest? Was this person better than this other person? Authors write books and short stories and screenplays and direct films to showcase their body of work. And we talk ad nauseum about them. We could compare Sidney Lumet to Francis Ford Coppola because of that body of work. What impact did it have? And certainly in music, it's made up of nothing but a body of work. The challenge on Facebook over this past couple of weeks was name the top 10 albums that impacted you. And I've just been having a blast with it. Because musicians and bands, that body of work is what supposedly denotes their value in life. Not really in so many, how many hit records or how many times did this album appear in Rolling Stone's top 100, but true fans who say, you know, this particular work from your discography, it moved my life. It said something about me. Like you touched into my life. I said that to my friend Dan last time we got together. I said, I wonder if these artists realize when someone says, you know, your album, like it meant the world to me. I wonder if they truly know what that means. Because I could say that to Bruce Springsteen about darkness on the edge of town. And I... I would mean it, there would be no other situation where I would mean it more. And I wonder if he would truly understand that. What it meant to be driving by myself, crushed by life, however someone can be crushed by life at 17 years of age. And hearing streets of fire, and knowing that that song may have been the difference between you continuing to drive or continuing to drive off a cliff. So this body of work is very important, and it's not unimportant in my profession. Everything from where you worked, what market you worked in, what radio station you were a part of. Did any of your commercials win awards? And I would say to Donna, I I want to be known as someone who has an impressive body of work. Oh, and this is what I work towards. And maybe that's an all an illusion. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. And I wonder if it doesn't mean anything, if that's okay. Because now behind me is a closet. And I move a couple of things out of the way of that closet door. And inside that closet, 
is a cardboard box slightly larger than a shoebox. And in that box are dozens and dozens of cassette tapes. And on several hard drives in the computers that sit behind me are MP3s and WAV files of countless numbers of commercials, promos, imaging pieces, things that I know at the time, and to a certain extent I still do, take an immense amount of pride in knowing that I created those. That shoebox is my body of work. And as I said to my friend Tim several times ago when we were still getting together for breakfast before this stupid virus, that shoebox means absolutely nothing. No one's going to ask for that shoebox. Nobody's going to request me to pull a cassette out of that shoebox and play something from 1995. They may Bruce Springsteen or Neil Young or Jackson Brown or Billy Joe Armstrong, but they're not going to do that for me. Oh, they may for some people in my chosen profession, but it's not going to be for me. So what does all this stuff mean? What does this body of work mean? So I think the challenge, as I see it, at least as of today, on a cold but really, really sunny day, the challenge as I see it while I did my after-lunch walk a couple of hours ago is to figure out the ways not to be bummed out about the past. The regrets of the past. And not to be depressed about the future. And as I say those things, I almost tremble inside because those are very difficult things to reconcile. Even without a therapist or some Acapulco gold or being able to run in the other room, the refrigerator, and get a delicious double IPA. All of those things really won't combat it. Because I know that just like sitting on that cushion, there's nothing except sitting on that cushion. And maybe the best thing for me is simply just to do nothing. I don't know. But I can say one thing for certain. That I am grateful. I'm grateful for having done 
what I did. I'm grateful for knowing early on what I wanted to do with my life. And some would say, well, you're not, your life isn't over. And that's true. That's true. There may be a whole 2.0. Of course, I don't know how many different people will take a chance on someone whose milestone birthday arrives in about a week. I'm not going to say what number birthday that is, but if you know who Otto Graham is, then you know. But I am grateful. I am grateful for that. So I wanted to pass on some info relative to uh, my new website. Yeah. Some of you know that I dabble a little bit in photography and videography. And in my attempt to both showcase a little bit of my work, but probably more importantly to, as I mentioned previously, dig down and continue to make inroads and not be a slacker in my attempt to dig up some new business with the visual side of things. I've turned to creating a landing space for some of that work, and you can find that at mattphotovideo.com. That's M-A-T-T photo video dot com. And as always, the podcast is available on the Apple iTunes platform, as well as iHeart, and on Spotify. So hopefully, any success that I have with dealing with regret will be a warming success, so that I can be enveloped in its arms. And it will take away some of this chill. <laughs> Since we don't have baseball to warm us up. Someone on a Zoom conference call yesterday for a business, we all went around the room saying what we missed the most. And I said, I have to say, the thing I miss the most is baseball. Quite honestly, I miss planning my world around baseball. And I'm lucky enough, and I'm grateful for this, that I have a wife who also enjoys baseball. It doesn't matter whether it's the second game of a four-game set, and the game could be inconsequential on a Wednesday night. I'm grateful that I have a wife that will watch it or listen to it with me. And that I miss. Here's hoping you're safe. Here's hoping you're healthy. Here's hoping you're COVID-19 free and that all of us will be COVID-19 free for the remainder of this pandemic. Thank you, as always for downloading and listening to the Gratitude Journal podcast. <music>